Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our CPR series looks at certain topics that come up in life, and we attempt to discuss them in a way that relates to everyone. At times, we bring in the arguments of those opposed to the Word of God in order to practice contending for the faith that God gave His Church. It is our prayer that you will be equipped to give a defense for the truths of the Christian faith with humility and respect. Welcome back to Burden Blessing Podcast. I'm here today with Pastor Mark Tiefel. My name is Neil Radical. Once again, we're going through the questions that skeptics ask. Hope you're doing well today, Mark. You ready to jump right into this question of the day? Absolutely. Let's get started. All right. So the question for today is, what if there is a good God, why is there evil and suffering in the world? I think this is a question that we often hear in people accusing, whether it be Christianity or any religion, maybe it's from the atheist group, why would there be evil and suffering if God even exists? So, Mark, my question for you right now is a timing question. How would you answer someone quickly on this? And then if you, maybe we can go a little bit more into the maybe a longer discussion you can have. I think it, to me, Neil, it comes down to balancing God's holiness with God's graciousness in our minds. So what I mean by that is it's not that evil and suffering is a product of God's holiness. That's not what we're trying to say, but we know that because God is holy, he must hold us accountable for sin. And in that sense, also hold the world accountable for sin. And there has to be a solution to that. And I think you know, where this question typically comes from, maybe from the non-believer perspective is they, they believe that, well, if God's all powerful and if he's all loving, he should just snap his fingers, proverbial fingers, and just fix the problem and just get rid of it right away. But this question can also come up for the believer too. And, and it can be a tough thing for the believer to wrestle with in their mind, knowing that God is good. God is loving. God is the savior, but also, especially when evil and suffering confronts our lives directly, how do we handle that and how do we cope with that? So it's not just a, a question that's posed by the atheist or the unbeliever, but it can be something that the Christian wrestles with too, but I think for different reasons. I think that's a good response. I like bringing in the holiness part of it. For me, I find that this is the kind of question you get asked where you least expect it, like a lot of these questions are, you know, and so that's, that, that's the point of my question. How do you how do you answer such a difficult question quickly, like when it's in a, a supermarket line or at a gas station, or if someone asks you, what do you do? And you say, oh, you're a pastor, or if someone sees you going to church, a neighbor goes, sees you going to church in the morning, and they, they ask you, well, I can never believe in a God. Look at all the evil and suffering in the world. Why would a good God ever do that? It's hard to give a quick answer to that. And that was kind of the point of my first question. You know, you brought up the holiness and graciousness of God, but those two concepts I think you have to go kind of a little bit more in depth into, but you're right. The second part really questions if God is all powerful, how could he be a loving God? So what I'm hoping we can do is how do we give that quick answer to that question in that kind of a context? Well, maybe that's something we can conclude with once we once we kind of walk through this whole question in all of its details, maybe at the end of it, we can kind of figure out what would be a good quick response to that. But, you know, 
typically the person who's going to be asking this is directly going through some type of evil or suffering or directly witnessing it. So even if you're able in that moment to give a quick answer, you wonder how effective is that going to be for the person if it's a deep, a deep rooted issue. Really, our answer as Christians, whether it's a very quick answer or a more detailed answer, has to be built on what scripture says about this, just like all of the the answers that we give for our faith. And when you dig into this in scripture, there's a lot of passages and thoughts to consider. And like I said, it's about balancing really those two elements that we see where God is holy and just and therefore must hold sin accountable, but God is also gracious and loving and forgives sin. It's kind of balancing those two thoughts in our mind. And scripture obviously has a lot to say about those two topics. I think in memorizing scripture, how do we bring that to people in the sense of, okay, how are we using this phrase here? How are we using their question to really point them back to scripture? So in your mind, what from this question really jogs where you think you should go for scripture? Well, it's interesting that preparing for this, I looked into the Bible a bit on this, on this question and there were a few passages that came to mind, but typically when it comes to the question of why is there evil and suffering in the world, I think the Bible kind of frames that from the perspective of sort of a rhetorical question, like it's already known, you know, the, the Bible starts out at the very beginning, giving the answer to that in a historical narrative. And, it, and it's the fall into sin. The fall into sin is what brought everything into the world that was opposed to God's original design. And that would certainly include evil and suffering. And so you're not going to find a ton of passages that really just in, in a few thoughts answer, why is there evil and suffering in the world? Because the Bible almost looks at it as a given from the beginning, as it looks at offering the solution. The Bible spends a lot more time on describing how God has solved that issue rather than asking why it even exists to begin with. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's important to use the Bible as a historical book and to look at it as a historical book, because these accounts that happen at the very beginning that show us how life got to be the way it is today are not just fairy tales or myths. They're actual events in history that happened that lay the framework for why we see life existing the way it is today. And so throughout the Bible, as that unfolds and we see more about who God is and what he's done for us, scripture doesn't take a ton of time to answer the question, well, why is there evil and suffering? It already looks at that as a a reality that we're living with. And the people that interacted with, with God and that the, the examples we see of people practicing their faith, it, we don't see a lot of people that struggled with this so much, not saying they didn't, but we don't see exa- a ton of examples of that because I think that it was just looked at as this is a basic fact of the world, just like kind of like gravity is a basic law of nature. This is the way it is. You know, uh, I think that's how a lot of Christians in the past just viewed this topic and they spent more of their time trying to answer well, what is the, what has God done about this? So looking in the Bible for direct passages, I don't think we find a ton of them, especially in the new Testament, because it's almost like the people in that era just lived with this conscious reality of there is evil and suffering in the world. And it's because sin came into the world. They don't really spend a ton of time philosophically asking why could this be the case? I really like the way you brought out that whole idea of the historical narrative, because 
yes, if it's a given that there is evil and suffering in the world, the point of that question, if there's a good God, why is there evil and suffering in the world? That's the evidence that person's coming from. I really like the way you brought out the, what does that person have as a deeper issue going on in their life where they're questioning God in this way? How could there be a good God since there's evil and suffering in the world? And your point is, if you're bringing, as a Christian, as a person who's looking at the Bible as the understanding of that, is you're going to bring that person back to the fact that we know that there's evil and suffering in the world. What has God done about it? So I like the way you pointed that back to the focus, the Bible focusing on providing a solution for the individual. I think that's the challenge that we have. And that's why I want to start with that quick versus longer question or that discussion, because everyone's looking for the quick answer. And why I like where you're starting with your, your response is that this isn't really a quick discussion, is it? Because there's something that's going on in the person's heart against God. And ultimately, people nowadays are looking for the quick answer. I want this one verse that explains all this to me. Is We live in that instant gratitude society that just wants to know everything right away. Someone just tell me, where's the investigation of it? And the Bible helps us with the investigation of, we know what the problem is, but over and over throughout the word of God, we see that it's providing crisis the solution. So, I liked your point about the New Testament. You know, it brings up the concept that, yeah, this is a given that there's evil and suffering in the world. I think of like Romans 3, Romans 5. We know what the wages of sin is. We know that all fall in, this, uh, fall in the sin. We know that Romans 5 says, though as one man entered the world, sin and death reigned because of that fall in the sin, like you mentioned, the fall in the sin in the garden. But it's always providing that solution to that as well. It's always providing the solution to the problem that we talked about. So you mentioned... There's lots of good ways to bring this out in scripture. You, you start with the historical narrative of how to address this question. If there's a good God, why is there evil and suffering in the world? Do you have any other thoughts as far as focusing the individual in your discussion with them or even ourselves in our studies beyond the historical narrative? Yeah, I think a lot of the passages I look to don't really answer so much. Why is there evil and suffering? I think, like I said, that's the Bible looks at that as somewhat rhetorical. It tells us why Adam and Eve let sin into the world. Romans 8 builds off of what you said about Romans, where the creation has been groaning together with birth pains. You know, the whole creation groans with this. And so we're, we're just inundated with evil and suffering. We're, it's always going to be around us. It's the, the veil of tears because of the very beginning. So there's that part of it, which you know, not a ton of passages directly spend time talking about that's pretty straightforward. I think we get the more troubling or difficult area to answer is how does this then play into the nature of God? And that's where we, we you know, that's what I picked out as, you know, in, in preparing for this, really searching for what scripture has to say about the nature of God with knowing this reality of evil and suffering. What, what does it tell us about the nature of God? Because like you said, this isn't just a theoretical thought that, oh, there's evil and suffering out there. So I'm really going to be worried about this and ponder this. It's, it's, the, it's that topic combined with God's nature of love and goodness that gives us trouble of how could this be? How can these two things exist? So I think we do have some good scripture references that help us understand more about the direct nature of God as it pertains to this topic. So you're mentioning the sense of if the nature of God is, we've talked about this in previous podcasts from time to time, if he is unjust, that is going back to that point that obviously since there's evil, God's not punishing that evil or stopping it from ever happening. He can't be a good God because he's unjust. He's not preventing these things from happening. 
I think that's part of the that conundrum that's in people's minds about this, because it seems logical that that would be the case. But when we get when we see more about the nature of God in the scriptures, we see there's more to it than just that logical proposition in our minds that this must you know, this must be the way it is. And you take, first of all, who's responsible for all this? You know, it, it's it's not God who's responsible for this. God created a perfect world. So why then should the responsibility be on God to just, you know, wipe everything away and let us continue living however we please? Now, that doesn't deny the fact we talked about God has provided a solution, but that's through a very specific way. It's not just by saying, oh, I'm going to just, you know, snap my fingers, take it away, and then you can keep doing whatever you want to do. There, there's, there has to be a restitution to what has happened. There has to be a payment that's made. There has to be a solution that actually actually fixes the problem, not that just, you know, wishes it away by magic. So a couple passages that I think are very key. Uh, first of all, you know, one of the first ones I turned to was Deuteronomy chapter 30. This was, this was Moses's final address to the children of Israel. Anybody who knows anything about biblical history or Old Testament history knows how important this era was to God's people, but also to just our general knowledge of God's nature and what it means to be a believer. But it, in Deuteronomy 30, Moses gathers the people together and says, I, I call heaven and earth as witnesses together against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. And he goes on to say that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. So that's really, you know, paring this down into a very simple thing. The difference between life and death here. We, we in, in our question frames it as the difference between suffering and goodness. You know, that, that is always put out in front of us day after day. That decision between life and death. And part of the struggle that we have is not just what happened with Adam and Eve at the beginning, that they fell into sin, that sin entered the world, but it's that that sin continues to affect our lives today and continues to prevent us from choosing life over death. Our will, our decision-making, our desire is all corrupted by sin, so we lack the ability and power to be able to choose that in our life. Well, what happens when you're continually choosing death or evil or wickedness? What are you going to have in life? More suffering more evil, more wickedness. And so we have to be honest about our responsibility. I think we, we talked about the atheist or unbeliever perspective on this question. And typically it comes from wanting to evade any personal responsibility and blame God for everything and not take any accountability. We know that's not the way life works. We have, we have a major role to play in this whole situation. And, and God day after day puts that same proposition before us, choosing life or death. And we have the inability because of sin, we are corrupted. And so we, we are not perfect at choosing life over death. And that's going to result in more evil and suffering. So what do we see about God's nature from that? We see that there's an element of free will that continues to exist from the beginning of creation. Not that we have the freedom to do and, and to be holy before God and to choose the perfect way every time, but the free will to reject God if we so desire, or to reject goodness if we so desire. God, God does not force anyone to follow his path, even though he pleads and calls through the gospel time after time. So the, that tells us that the nature of God continues to beckon to us 
to follow his will, to follow what is best for our lives, to follow what is healthy, even though he still allows us to reject that if we so choose. I like the way you said that because when we talk about who is responsible and you brought up the idea of accountability, really, you mentioned that the atheist or the skeptic might say, we're blaming God for this. You know, it's just like Adam and Eve did in the garden when they fell into sin. They blame God for their mistake. They blame God for their transgression. They, they blame God for breaking his law. And ultimately, if we're looking at how God is not responsible for that, it really brings in that element of grace about how does he fix it? And I, I like that point that you made there about if you're choosing life or death, yeah, you can choose death by continuing to follow in the evil wickedness that we brought into the world. Because that question, if there's a good God, why is there evil and suffering in the world? That assumption is that God is the one who brought the evil and suffering into the world. And that's not the case at all is what we see from the word of God. It's mankind who brought evil and suffering into the world. And so I, I really like the way you're bringing out this idea of the responsibility, accountability is not placed on God is what this question is trying to do of the person who's asking it. But the accountability responsibility needs to come back on what we have done and how the Lord is really actually more unjust than not giving us exactly what we deserve, but giving us his grace instead. And that kind of brings it back to your first comment that understand that balance between holiness and graciousness of God. God is holy. He expects perfection. We failed, but in his graciousness, he found a solution. And that's what the whole Bible is all about, which is what you've been saying from the get-go. Good. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what you're, what we're saying here is when you, when you balance that out, you cannot negate God's holiness by emphasizing his graciousness. And it's like it, from the human perspective, it seems like that's what happens. If God forgives sinners, well, he must be negating his holiness. But the difference is how he went about doing that. Again, as we've mentioned, it wasn't just poof out of thin air, snap my fingers, fix the problem as, pe as people would think it could be. But God put that punishment on Christ, his son. And so the punishment was paid. The restitution was given. The ransom was delivered, but it wasn't by us. So God, it kept his holiness intact while also delivering on his graciousness. And the only way that was possible was through Christ. And so I think one thing that's coming out at the very beginning here as we look for a, a concise answer to all this is that this question is framed from the perspective of looking at God as the responsible party. And we need to reorient that to realize, first of all, we are responsible for the evil and suffering that's happened in the world, whether we look at ourselves as individuals or look at us collectively as mankind, going back to Adam and Eve, it's our mistake our unfaithfulness that brought this issue into the world. And I think another passage I had that brought that out, you know, you think about Job. Job is the, the one person who knows the reality of suffering the most in human history. And in Job 14, he says, man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes forth like a flower and fades away. He flees like a shadow and does not continue. And so what is Job's conclusion to this? The reality of being a mortal being, of dealing with suffering and evil. He says, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? No one. So what is Job doing in that section? He's realizing the, the responsibility and the accountability is with me. He's focusing on himself. He's not, he's not blaming God in that, in that area. He's realizing one of the reasons I have a problem is because I live in this world that's full of trouble. 
the whole the creation that groans and labors, as Romans 8 says, but also my life fades like a flower. I'm a mortal being. I'm, I am not the same as God. And so the, the, the end question is, well, who can fix that? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Well, when we look at our responsibility there and at our role in it, the answer is no one can do that. So that's where we shift the question then. We see ourselves when it comes to the responsibility of the state we're in, but now we must shift and see what God has done to, to bring a solution to that problem. Now that we've brought all these things together, the three points that we can kind of recap on it really is I've listened to you debate this comment is there's just the nature of man giving that idea of that fall into sin opposed to God's design. And it's a given from the Bible that this is where mankind is at since the fall into sin, we've all lived in the state of sin. And you compare that to the secondly, this nature of God. And just because evil is happening, doesn't mean God's to blame for that. It doesn't mean God is unjust. It ultimately shows that we ought to be taking responsibility, accountability for actions. You brought in Deuteronomy 30 and showing that life and death. And ultimately what it leads to in that third part is it points the Bible. It points us to that nature of Christ. You know, that idea of that literally he is personifying God because he is God. And he's showing us, like you said of Job, who can have, bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing. No one can do that. And ultimately, that's what we see God providing us that solution through Christ. So what's a wonderful thing about this question, it really leads us back to Christ. It leads us back to our God who is good because he's willing to suffer. He's willing to lay down his life as a payment because there's evil and suffering and rebellion against God in the world. We still see the love of Christ poured out for us in that way. So now that we've kind of taken this summary, I really appreciate your thoughts on this and how you brought out these natures of man versus the nature of God, the characteristics of God. How can we break that down with this longer discussion, which is what we always want to get to with bringing in the word of God and teaching these things as the Lord has taught us through his word. How do you bring it down to that hopeful quick answer that would always want to lead to a longer discussion and study well, it's probably the best way if, if you're basically in passing with someone, you maybe never see them again. How would you go about, and it's kind of a tough thing, Mark, but how would you answer someone if you only had like 30, 60 seconds with them? Well, I would say, look at the symbol of Christianity. The symbol of Christianity is a cross. And we, we know why historically that's the case. It, it looks to the cross of Christ. And it's at that cross that you see God's justice and holiness combined with God's love and grace. Again, God did not skirt the punishment that had to happen. God did, God did not do away with sin just by restarting everything. If he had done that, it would have compromised his justice and his holiness. He demanded perfection. And he said that those who would not reach that perfection would die. So something had to happen there. It couldn't just be wished away. So at the cross, you see that punishment rendered on the body of Christ. You see the holy son of God, son of man, true man, true God, making the payment for the sin of the world. But you also see what comes out of that then is the love and forgiveness of God that now Christ has the power through completing what we could not to forgive our sins, to take those away because his record becomes ours. So the cross is a perfect reminder of the blending of God's justice and God's love, what he did with suffering and evil, 
like you said, he literally took it on his own body on the cross so that we would be spared of that. But the, but that, 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 that idea, that concept, even though it's such a foundational thing to Christianity so far transcends what we would consider logical or reasonable. Like the Bible says, no one would have conceived that, that God would have done this in their own mind. It would, it could only come as a product of God's, of God's truth and God's love. So as we seek to answer this question, we have to also remember to look at it, not just from our perspective of what seems reasonable or how the world would talk about it, but to see how God answers it for himself in the word. And if you want to look for, you know, if a quick answer in passing, see the cross as an intersection, you know, an intersection of two things, God's justice and God's love. And that's the perfect answer to these, it's, you know, the, these struggles where what God has done for us is so awesome and beyond what we could even think of on our own. We see how it's, it's easily answered through the gospel of Christ and what he's accomplished for us. If we extend it out to a section of scripture, I would, I would point somebody to first Timothy two talks about both the nature of God and what he went on to do for us. First Timothy two, three to five, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So in that, in that passage, you've got the summary of what we're talking about here. When I'm worried about the nature of God, well, what, is, what does evil and suffering mean? Does God care about me? Is he active in my life? Does he, does, does he do anything? Well, he tells me he desires all people to be saved. And then he tells me what he's done to accomplish that. He sent his only son, the one true mediator, who is also God and man, Jesus Christ, in my place, that I would have forgiveness of sins. So I think there's some concise answers that we can give, whether we want to cite a passage like that, or whether we want to use like a symbol like the cross of the true intersection of God's justice and love. But ultimately, what it's got to come down to, I think, is we have to answer this question from God's perspective and let him speak his truth to us to answer this and not just come with our own preconceived ideas about what it must be. Because let's remember, if we limit God to only what we think is reasonable, we're really, we're really going to lose out on every element of God that is most precious and dear to us. It's not, we're not going to be able to explore the depths of his love if we're only keeping it at a superficial level too. Yeah. Like, just like you said, I think that's a really good explanation. I like the way you focus on the cross there. And ultimately the purpose of us having these questions that skeptics ask is for us to be properly prepared, you know? So I'm prayerful, Mark, that as we have the, had the opportunity to discuss and reflect on scripture and how we would answer this question. We really, any of these questions, we want to be able to answer for ourselves first. That means digging into the word of God and understanding how the Lord would answer it so that we're properly prepared in answering those who are questioning it in their own life or faith or questioning God altogether. We pray the Lord would use us and send the Holy Spirit to bless those conversations so that our faith would be purified in that sense of being able to share what we want to know about God and the love of Christ, and also continue to bless others with that same knowledge that we've been gifted as well. Thank you for your time today, Mark. Do you have any other closing comments? No, I, I, I appreciate the discussion. I know these questions are not as easy as just, you know, trying to unwrap it in a 30 minute podcast, but hopefully, like you said, what we're, what we're able to 
talk about here and discuss can can give our listeners some good uh, truths from God's word to use as they encounter these things in their life. Thank you for your time today, too, and hope that you can continue to keep up with us in this question that skeptics ask. If you ever have one that you would like us to look into more, please check us out in burdenblessing.org. And we pray the Lord will continue to bless and keep you as you rejoice in what Christ, our Savior, has done for us. That, that wonderful crossroads at the cross of God's justice and his love poured out through Christ. We hope that you will join us next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast. Our goal is always to bring you the whole counsel of God. Until next time, go in the strength of the Lord and preach the word.